Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loyo, your host. Behold, the church is covered as with a heavenly garment by the icons of our Lord and all the saints, thus preserving the true faith. May those who do not believe this be covered with shame, for we glory in the image of the incarnate word. Now, these words, both beautiful and also stern, actually come from the prayers of the Byzantine liturgical year, in other words, this time that we're in, the season of Lent, and they come specifically from this day of the first Sunday of Lent in the Byzantine liturgical calendar. They're from the Matin service, because this Sunday, the first Sunday of Lent in the Byzantine church, we celebrate the vindication of icons. And this phrase, this part of the Matin's prayer I just quoted, is actually a kind of a reference to the condemnation of those who do not believe In other words, the iconoclasts, those who do not believe that we can, in fact, make images out of paint or stone or whatever of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Virgin Mary, the angels and saints. Notice I did not include God the Father or the Holy Spirit because only the second person of the Trinity, the person of Jesus Christ, became incarnate. In other words, enfleshed, became an image of the Father, as the scriptures say. So we can, in fact, portray Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, who is also God and man, we can portray him in paint or stone or whatever medium. And this was a raging controversy in the church for centuries, and it actually gets recycled from time to time. As I mentioned, it's a form of what we call iconoclasm, which means icon smashers, image smashers. Because you see, when you don't want some reality to exist anymore, one of the first things you go after are the images of that reality. In the case of holy icons, the images, of course, are of the heavenly bodies, the angels in heaven, the Virgin Mary, 
saints, and of course, Jesus Christ himself. And the icons were attacked for centuries because of a misreading of the passage in Scripture where God says to the Jewish people, you will not make graven images or worship idols. But that was a misinterpretation. That that line has been misinterpreted by many, many people and religions throughout time, throughout the centuries. God did not mean that we cannot make images of Jesus Christ, of the angels, the saints, the Virgin Mary. What he meant was we cannot make images and use them as false gods and worship them. We do not worship images in the church. We do not worship icons. A lot of times we're accused of that, but that's wrong. We use them for worship, as an instrument of worship. Just as we use the flag of the United States to bring to our mind respect for our nation, the memories of all those who have died and sacrificed themselves and contributed to the formation of this great nation, we salute the flag. We don't worship it. We don't worship cloth. We use it to call to mind a respect that we should have. So images help to make other realities present, invisible realities present, and that is certainly the case with icons. So what happened was, as this iconoclast controversy raged, this heresy raged through the centuries of the church, Finally, in 843 AD, in other words, the ninth century in the Byzantine Empire, icons, the painting of them, in other words, representing Jesus Christ, the angels and saints, and the Virgin Mary, were finally vindicated once and for all. And it, it happened to be on the first Sunday of Lent. And what they did was they went in procession with icons, and furthermore, they actually read the anathemas. In other words, they pronounced by name those who did not believe that we could paint icons. In other words, the heretics. They read off these anathemas, an anathema be upon them. And some Eastern churches still do that tradition to this day. That's how serious they were about this controversy, about why we can and should paint and portray and whatever, paint, stone, mosaic, whatever medium, to portray the images of Jesus Christ, of the Virgin Mary, of the angels and the saints in heaven, because they make present what are heavenly realities, tangible, very present. In fact, icons, many of them have been known to be miraculous, to heal people. We have icons today, a number of them, that actually secrete a special kind of myrrh that's unexplainable, it's miraculous. Sometimes, that myrrh comes from the eyes of the icon, especially the Virgin Mary, where she's crying. Tears literally flow from her without ceasing. There's no way to explain it. And that myrrh, that ointment that comes in there is often very fragrant. It often can be used to actually heal people. It's true. This actually happens with icons. Icons are special. And that's why people laid down their lives for their vindication. And on this first Sunday of Lent, we parade around with these icons and hold them up proudly, not only because of icons just themselves, but the fact that this means that we have vindicated the true faith. That's what this means, really. It's not only the icons and their value. That would be enough to parade around and to celebrate. But it's because we now have the vindication, the affirmation of the true faith that we believe correctly. In other words, we believe incarnationally that the image of the incarnate word was real. It happened. God made himself visible. The invisible God became visible precisely through his own creation. 
And that is what matters because everything comes from that. That's why it's called the great mystery, the one great mystery. Everything comes from that. If God would not have incarnate himself among us, he would not be present upon earth in such a tangible way. He would not have healed and saved us because in order to save us, he had to take on that which was fallen, which means our very nature, our entire nature, our body and soul. He took it on while still remaining God and vindicated us, redeemed us. And this is why the incarnation is so significant. It's the one and only mystery. Everything comes from that. All the mysteries, all other mysteries come from this one mystery of the incarnation. The, the, the invisible God become visible through. <laughs> the invisible God become visible through the very creation he himself set in motion. That is why on this Sunday, the first Sunday of Lent, we celebrate this victory of the icons. It goes all the way back to the ninth century. If you notice what's happening even in our culture, in our world today, those who want to be anarchists, who want to overthrow the established traditions and authorities and order and structure of civilization, what are they doing? Have you noticed? They go after the images. They're tearing down statues, statues of saints, statues of great figures from American history. They do it not only in America, but in other countries as well. The first thing they go after are the images. Why? They're just statues made of bronze or they're just statues made of bronze or some kind of steel or paint or something. What's the big deal? Ah. But those statues from that metal and the steel, the rock or the bricks or the wood or the paint, they make present invisible realities, which are real. And so if you don't want those realities, you go after their images because their images make those realities present and tangible. You try to wipe any image, any reminder of it, any symbol of that reality out when you're trying to rebel against that reality. And that's what's happening in our culture today. And so it happened in the church for centuries. But this Sunday, we celebrate the fact that we can and must make images of he who became the image of the Father, a visible image, Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, God and man, and also his blessed mother, the saints and the angels. So yes, today we do behold the church covered as with a heavenly garment, because that's what icons do. They help to make present that which is in heaven. And by the icons of our Lord and all the saints, we preserve the true faith. And just as they read the anathemas centuries ago, and some still do today, may those who do not believe this be covered with shame. For we glory in the image of the incarnate word. Yes, covered with shame instead of being covered with icons, covered with God's grace. This is an important belief. It's not just about pretty pictures. It's about whether we believe and can affirm, whether we believe and can affirm the reality of God among us, because that makes the difference in everything. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Every day, Father Loya posts a brief two-minute Facebook video on the Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish homepage. You'll be amazed at what you can learn just by watching. 
Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. And then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. You are listening to the Choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church under the direction of Timothy Woods in Homer Glen, Illinois. This is the music you hear on Light of the East and is sung during the Sacred Liturgy at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish. Order online at ByzantineCatholic.com. All we ask is a donation of $20 or more, which includes shipping and handling to Annunciation Parish for each Theosis CD. Send a check made out to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. And may God grant you I'm Father Anthony Bush, pastor of St. Stanislaus Kostka, the Sanctuary of the Divine Mercy in Chicago. And you are listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Look to EWTN for inspiring Lenten programming. This is Father Thomas Petrie, Godly Counsel on Morning Glory. Lent is a time of spiritual renewal when the church journeys with Jesus Christ, who is both God and man, and in his humanity he can suffer, he can be hungry, he can die, and he does all of these things for us. So during this season we journey with him and offer our own penance. We give things up just as he gave himself up for us. We pray more to be closer to him, and we give alms to help those who are in need just as Christ's sacrifice helps us. During this Lenten season, all of us at EWTN Radio are praying that you grow closer to the Lord and that this be a holy time for you as you prepare to celebrate his suffering, death, and resurrection. Lenten programs now through Holy Thursday on EWTN Radio and TV. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya, your host, and we're talking about the true images that we can, in fact, in fact, we must paint, portray, through whatever medium, Jesus Christ, second person of the Trinity, God and man, angels, the Virgin Mary, and the saints, because that is an affirmation of the belief in the reality of the incarnation. And to refrain from doing so is actually a slight against the reality, is actually a slight against the reality of the incarnation. You see, if you notice, it's about images, meaning it's about seeing how we see all of life. This is really what our faith is about. And the time of Lent, especially this first Sunday of Lent in the Byzantine Church, we're brought back to the idea that our faith is about seeing correctly and then living according to what we're seeing. So we have to see correctly. 
Now, what happened in the Garden of Eden, this is what basically what Lent is about. It's going back to that time of the exile. When we were in exile, Adam and Eve were in exile from the Garden of Eden because of their sin. That's how we are too. We're recognizing that, that we share in their exile, but we can make our way back through repentance. And the reason they were exiled from the Garden of Eden was because they changed the way that they saw things, saw each other, saw that forbidden fruit. In the Bible, if you notice the beginning of Genesis, the symbol, the crowning statement of the harmony between Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve and God, Adam and Eve and creation, the crowning statement was how they saw each other. What does the Bible say? How does that beautiful part, the peaceful, integrated paradise, that part of the Bible of creation, how does it end? It says this, they were both naked, but they felt no shame. In other words, they saw each other sacramentally, as God sees, as God created us to see everything and everybody at all times, sacramentally. In other words, incarnationally, eucharistically, the invisible God made visible in his creation, and we were designed by God to see that and therefore to live according to that vision. But what happened? When they ate the forbidden fruit, first of all, they looked at the forbidden fruit the wrong way. They ceased looking at even food, nature, sacramentally. They changed their view to looking at it in a way that is utilitarian, of appropriation, of consuming, basically lustfully. Eve saw the forbidden fruit and saw that it was good, it was beautiful, and she said, I want that, I will take that. The reach, the fatal reach, I like to call it, original sin, the fatal reach of Eve, which eventually became, of course, Adam's fatal reach as well. They should have kept their hands down and just beheld that beauty and all that was good about that forbidden fruit. God made it as good, but he said, you don't touch it. They should have just seen it and passed on, relished and reveled in its beauty, its attractiveness, and all that it meant, but then passed on. Prayed to God, thanking him for making such good things. See, that's the sacramental worldview, and that is what we try to recover during the season of Lent. You see, the fasting the abstinence, the asceticism, increased prayer. It's all about trying to regain the true sacramental vision of things so that we can then respond to all of life sacramentally, not lustfully, not in terms of desire, consuming, appropriating, envy, clinging, bringing everything to ourself for our own self-pleasure. We let go of things. We keep our hands off of things. We just appreciate and behold their value and use them only as God intended them to. That is really what Lent is about. And it goes all the way back to the time of Adam and Eve. In the liturgical text for this season of Lent, we actually hear Adam talking to nature. Yeah, he's actually talking to nature. And he's saying to the plants in nature, he's saying this, O blessed, beloved paradise, beauty of springtime and divinely created abode, unending joy and delight, the glory of all the just, the enchantment of the prophets and the dwelling place of the saints. By the rustling of your leaves, implore the creator of the universe to open the gates that I have closed by my fault. Let me partake of the tree of life and share the joy that I once found in you. And then he further says this, O pleasant meadows, O sweetness of paradise, you trees planted by God, let your leaves as so many eyes 
pour out tears from my nakedness and my estrangement from the glory of God. Oh, delightful paradise, share in the sorrow of your fallen master, and by the whispering of your leaves, beseech the crater not to keep you close forever. O merciful Lord, have mercy on me, a fallen one. You notice what he's doing? He's speaking to that creation that he once saw sacramentally, that he was once so close with, that he was once in such harmony with. He appreciated even the leaves calling them like eyes, asking those eyes to be merciful to him, asking the very leaves to rustle in a way that says, please God, forgive Adam, bring him back to us, bring him back to that original harmony. Also, we say this in some of the liturgical verses during Lent. We sing this. The season of abstinence has arrived. It enlightens the disposition of our spiritual understanding and repels the darkness of passions. Let us also embrace it with all our heart as we extol Christ. Now, these words, it enlightens the disposition of our spiritual understanding, are very, very profound. We go back to the Sunday of the Prodigal Son. That was one of the preparatory Sundays prior to our buildup to the season of Lent itself that we're in now. And we said in there, as the Bible does too, but we also said in our liturgical verses, that when the prodigal son had his metanoia, when he turned back to the father, it says that he found his senses, he found himself, he found right reason. And we're hearing that again in this last quote from the Matins about this sense of a spiritual understanding, a spiritual understanding. In other words, our spirituality, like as if it has a certain intellect, which it does, a certain awareness, has become faulty and we don't think correctly. We have a kind of a, what we may call a cognitive distortion. And this makes us act incorrectly, act sinfully. And so we act this way because we've lost our sense of seeing correctly. I see incorrectly, therefore I think incorrectly. Go back to Adam and Eve. They saw incorrectly the forbidden fruit. They saw it in a way of, as we mentioned, lust or appropriation of selfishness. And therefore they made a decision, cognitive action, to take that fruit. In other words, a decision, an action has to come by way of a thought a thought process. So their thought process was faulty, as was their vision. So what they had to do was to restore their right vision and therefore restore their right thinking, and from that, the correct and right holy action or way of behaving. So that's how it works. How we see, how we think from what we see, and then how we act. So what we have to do to become good, holy Christians, which we're all called to be, hope that is your one ambition in life above everything else, to become holy, a saint, we have to first see correctly, sacramentally, which is the very essence of what we call the Catholic faith. In other words, it is a Eucharistic vision, a liturgical vision, a mystical vision, the vision that Adam and Eve had before the fall, before the sin. We have to recover that. Lent helps us to do that so that we, like Adam and Eve had to do, we have to restore, little by little, in big ways or even in tiny ways, the right vision. So we have the right thinking and we therefore have the right behavior and action. 
That's really what's behind fasting. Fasting isn't just about the foods. It's not just like a, a spiritual kind of gymnastic. Oh, I got to abstain from this food. It's pretty hard. I can't wait till Lent's over so I can go back to that food. It's about how to restore the correct vision of food or of anything in life, actually. We start with food because that's the most critical. That's the most challenging one. But just as Adam and Eve saw the fruit of the tree, the food, incorrectly, in a way that's consuming, you know, kind of gluttonous, so too do we see food oftentimes or anything. And so fasting is about restoring the right vision of something, seeing it sacramentally, so that we can, after Lent is over, we can return to those foods in a more measured way or to whatever else we've given up. We can return to it in a more measured way and we might even choose not to return to it at all. We may find that, gee, this was an excess in my life I did not need. It did not really help me move towards holiness. So I've given up for Lent and I'm not going to return to it. Or maybe you do return, but it's with a more measured sacramental view. This is what Lent is about. Thanks for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. To hear Light of the East again, visit ByzantineCatholic.com and click on the Features and Programs tab and on iTunes. Thank you for listening to Light of the East. We encourage you to tell a friend about Light of the East and to visit ByzantineCatholic.com. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. WTN Radio for the reason that Mother Angelica founded this entire enterprise. She always saw this as a spiritual growth network. It was to be an enterprise in media that reached people in all aspects of their life. She saw this as a, a holistic approach to reaching the whole person in the middle of the world and bringing them truth and life. Raymond Arroyo thinks Catholic Radio is important. So should you. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Wilcook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Or donate online on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh!